I was so upset uh, that my box of Cocoa Puffs had been eaten by my wife. That has to be the title of this episode, like <laughs> the infamous Cocoa Puffs incident of 2004. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bible Geeks Weekly Podcast. This is episode 65. I'm Brian Sheely. I'm Ryan Joy. And thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in. We're in week 22 of the End of the Book Bible Reading Program, which means we're covering 1 Corinthians chapters 3 through 7 this week. And if you know anything about this section of the Bible, we're going to be getting into some conversations about marriage, which is kind of a heavy subject, right? Yeah, pretty important for you and me. I mean, if you're married, this is uh, it's a pretty big part of life. And if you're not, Paul has some things to say about that, too, because Paul wasn't married. And so he had some thoughts on being single, too. Yeah, we'll get into that in a little bit. So let's dive into our first segment here, as we always do, finding Jesus. And so that means we're in week 22, 1 Corinthians 3 through 7. So where do you find Jesus here in Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 3 through 7? Well, Jesus is everywhere in this this whole book because everything he wants to say keeps coming back to the cross and keeps coming back to Jesus, mm-hmm. which is how this is how Paul teaches. Everything, every problem they're having, every topic, every practice we need to put into place comes back to the cross and to Jesus. And so as he's explaining in chapter five, the problem with sexual immorality being in the church, and then he tells them how to deal with it and explains church discipline and a whole process and purpose for these activities, he comes back to Jesus as the Passover lamb. And so in verses seven to eight, he says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened for Christ. Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So obviously the main idea he's grabbing onto is the concept of cleansing, getting rid of leaven. But to explain that, he brings us back to the Passover. And he says, Mm -hmm. we have a Passover lamb. You are having the feast. You need to celebrate the feast. And it makes you think, what what is the point? What is he trying to, to get across? He's been rebuking them for tolerating sin in their midst, and he commands them to celebrate the festival. But what festival should we celebrate? It doesn't talk, it's, it's not about the Lord's Supper. He'll talk about that later, and that's related to the Passover, but, but that's not what he's saying here. And he isn't telling Christians to go back and start celebrating the Jewish festival of slaughtering a lamb in the temple and eating a, a literal feast on the 14th of the first Jewish month, this whole Passover thing that they would do. We know this because later in Colossians 2, 16 and 17, Paul called such a festival a shadow of the things to come. And he says the substance, the real stuff belongs to Christ. So this is a spiritual feast. But notice that in the festival, Paul commands that we are the unleavened bread and the Passover lamb has been slaughtered in the death of Jesus. I think that the interesting thing here is he doesn't seem to have a time in mind for a Passover. This isn't like an appointed feast like the Passover before. Yeah, it's an ongoing thing. 
Yeah, exactly. I think that's what he's saying. I think the Christian life is the Passover. We are, like they would in this feast, we are in community, gathered around the lamb in fellowship, and this lamb represents the sacrifice for the salvation of our family, the redemption of our people, and he has borne this for us. And Mm -hmm. so the celebration is the Christian life. We are to rejoice knowing what we have to look forward to, what's happened behind, and we keep cleansing ourselves of malice and evil and celebrating this redemption every day. I think that's a pretty cool idea. Yeah, it's deep too. I mean, it's it pulls a lot from the imagery of the Old Testament and all the things that we see, you know, thousands of years before this. And it's awesome to see how it all kind of relates with each other and ties in. Almost like somebody designed this whole plan from the very beginning. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I found Jesus in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 21 through 23, where Paul says, So let no one boast in men. And just pause here real quick. The big problem that that the Corinthians were having, we talked about it in the last episode, is division. They just want to divide and hold up their favorite preacher as whoever is the favorite preacher of theirs of the day. And so he says, So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. I've never really honed in on this verse before, I don't think. And as I was as I was reading it, this this verse just jumped out at me. Yeah, I love this verse. Finding Jesus here, we see that he is being referenced as almost our owner, that we are Christ's and he he owns us. We're we're his possession. Mm-hmm. And that Christ is God's. And so you can almost view it as like this Russian nesting doll or kind of like a a fully encompassing Venn diagram where Christ is surrounding us and God surrounds Christ. It's kind of this, you know, we're the, we're the seed in the middle and they're all around us. We're, we're in Christ and Christ is in God. Mm -hmm. It's just this amazing picture. And the whole reason why Paul's bringing this up specifically is because he's he's basically saying, look, you guys are playing this tribalism game, you know, where you've held up your favorite preachers, you've you've divided yourselves on really silly, meaningless things. But the unintended side effect of that is that you narrow what kind of resources you have available to you. You know, when I say my favorite preacher is this guy and somebody else says, well, my favorite preacher is that guy. Well, now both of those people have limited who they can find value in, who they would listen to because they have a favorite one or a favorite favorite one that's different from somebody else's. And everyone, if we all belong to Christ, is available to us as a resource. And I think that's kind of what Paul is saying here is that, that when we all belong to Christ, we can all draw on the strengths of each other. And we all have access to all of these things, the world, life, death, the present, or the future, all are yours. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of a cool picture that, that Paul's using to try to encourage them to stop being so divisive about things. When all of these things belong to you, when the world belongs to you, 
because the world belongs to Christ, because right. all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him, because who is going to use the world and its resources the way God intended? Who's going to live life as God intended? Who can not fear death, but look forward to it? And all of these things, the present, the future. If all of these things are yours, then you have nothing to be jealous over, to fight for, to, to have schisms over. And like you say, you are thinking of yourself as under Paul or Apollos or Cephas. Yeah, he's the one I follow. When really, they're the ones that are servants of you. They're the ones mm-hmm. that are servants of the church. And so, yeah, the this idea that if you belong to Christ, it's like the song we sing. This is my father's world. If this is my father's world, I got nothing to worry about in the big picture. I can put my trust in the one to whom I belong. All right. So normally in our next segment here, Scripture Du Jour. What is the soup du jour? It's the soup of the day. Mm, That sounds good. I'll have that. Normally we get into the reading that we're doing on the episode today, which is Thursday. But every now and again, a chapter in our reading is so big that we need to cover it here in a little bit more detail. And that is 1 Corinthians chapter 7, which is Friday's reading. And it is huge. It is packed. And it is about marriage. So let's get into our scripture du jour today and talk about our favorite verses, something that's insightful from this chapter. What do you find here that really stands out at you? Well, I was actually going to suggest that you go first here because I, I saw what you put in, in your notes and I, I just picked the verses right after so that we okay. were covering kind of the main point. I will go first then. So this is 1 Corinthians <laughs> chapter 7 and verses 8 and 9 where Paul says, To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. There was a lot of stuff that I probably could have chosen here in this chapter, especially probably the the first section that I just skipped over about Mm -hmm. really the question that they had written to him about. And the question was, is it good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman? And then he goes on to the famous conversation about the authority that a husband has over his wife's body and the wife's authority that she has over her husband's body and not to deprive one another. But these verses here in in verses eight and nine, he turns the picture to the unmarried. And I love that Paul, in a sense, is not normalizing marriage. I don't know if if that makes sense. He's not. Yeah. He's not making it seem like marriage is the ideal because it's not. I think we do a disservice to some people by making it seem like marriage is the normal thing to do. Well, it's a great point because it was much more the normal thing to do in Paul's time mm-hmm. than it is now. I mean, it, sure. it's, it was really strange for Jesus or for Paul to go around as a as a Jewish middle aged man or however old they were and not have a wife that was that was quite unusual. And these days, it's it's a little more common, although not as much in the church. Sure. And that's I think maybe a, a really important point that you're making is for people who live a single life and are remaining pure there and and not uh you know a lot of people will just stay single in the world today so the number of people getting married is has diminished quite a bit and people just stay single and just have relations with whoever they want and and that's just their life and they're not tied down but in the church you have a lot of 
I think, a, a pretty good number of people who they have this gift that Paul talks about. He calls it a gift in verse seven. I think that's interesting. But there is a blessing to be had in singleness, as he talks about later on in the chapter. Yeah. And I just wanted to highlight that here, because as we're going to get into this conversation about marriage, because that's really what Paul's main focus is here. Please don't walk away from this conversation like we think the ideal is that everybody gets married because Paul wasn't married. And like you said, Jesus wasn't married. And Paul's holding this up as like, if you have the strength to not require, you know, getting married because of your lack of self-control, he almost, he almost treats marriage as if like, as, as you're, you're so weak and you have so little self-control that you need to get married. And I don't think marriage is a weakness or exposes some kind of weakness, but Paul's encouragement here is, look, if you if you're strong enough to stay single, I I would love it if you'd stay single like I am. No, I try to whenever we pray for our kids, a lot of times we'll pray for their future spouses. But I try to always also pray or if they remain single all of their life, may that be a blessing to them. See, that's good. Because that yeah. that could very well be. And, and Paul makes this very clear point here. In verse 33, the married person is anxious about worldly things, how to please his mm-hmm. wife. And so in, in a way that divides our interest. Doesn't mean we're we're not serving the Lord when we're serving our spouse, but there's things that I could do when I was single that I can't do now. I can't go and and fly to Lithuania or Sierra Leone or someplace and just go and and work there for a long period of time like like I might if I was single, like I did more of those kinds of things whenever I was single. So I think it's not only important for those who spend their lives single, but even young people, maybe you're 28 and you're still looking for a spouse, but you need to settle into this period of your life while you have it and recognize that just as marriage is a blessing, if and when that happens, singleness is a is a gift from God and use it. Yeah, that's a great point. I'm glad you started there. I think the other thing, too, is, you know, you get people and I don't want to overgeneralize here, but you you often get older people who kind of ask you, so when are you going to get married? So when are you going to get married? Mm-hmm. And then at some point, once you do get married, then it's when are you going to have kids? When are you going to have kids? When are you going to have kids? And it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, there is a variety of trajectories for everyone's life that are perfectly fine. And whether you get married, whether you don't get married, whether you have kids, whether you don't have kids, whether you adopt kids, whether you don't adopt. I mean, there's all whatever Mm -hmm. it is. It just leave the doors open. But to what Paul's saying here, though, is if you do have a problem with self-control, then you should marry. And I have heard too many times people who have jumped into relationships with people that they probably shouldn't have been in looking to this verse saying, look, I need to be with somebody because I don't have that kind of self-control. And they'll jump into to these relationships without actually taking the consideration that was required of, of realizing this is a lifelong commitment. Is this the right person? So I think be careful even when you look at this verse and don't hold it up so highly to where, you know, you jump into a relationship with somebody before you have really thought about it and considered what that's going to cost you in the long in the long run. Yeah, it's one point of data to factor in as you're considering, sure. should I get married? When should I get married? And I know 
you know, young people, all of us, before we're married, you can you can find yourself in a struggle as you try to, you know, maintain purity and you want to be married, you know, you mm-hmm. want that, not just even the physical aspect, though, though certainly that's the main thing we're talking about here, but you want that intimacy, you, you long for it. So you, you want to jump in, but there's a whole host of other considerations and you want to make sure that, as he says in the next part, which will be my verse, that you mm-hmm. understand this is something that, that you're bound to for life. And so... Yeah. Just like we count the cost before we bind ourselves to Christ in a covenant relationship with him, we want to think carefully before we bind ourselves in a lifelong covenant uh, and, and make sure everything is right and ready to start ourselves off right. So I'll, I'll get into mine unless you have another comment on that. Nope, that was well said. Roll right into it, man. Okay, so I'm going to the next verses there, verses 10 to 11, which I think summarize kind of the main point, the starting point, the foundation for us to jump off of into any other discussion of marriage. He says, to the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord, the wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband and the husband should not divorce his wife. He does that a few times here. Yeah, the not I, but the Lord thing. Yeah, he goes back and forth. You got to pay attention. And I taught this in a class not long ago, and people were taking that to mean this one's a command, this one isn't, whenever it's I and not the Lord. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that that's what's happening, Though, though there are some points where he says some things just as as some wisdom some sure. some advice and he makes that clear but whenever he speaks i and not the lord we have to remember later on in chapter 14 he says whenever he speaks everyone should recognize that it's the lord speaking yep. in verse 37 of chapter 14 he says if anyone thinks he's a prophet let him acknowledge that i am writing to you a command of the lord the things that paul's writing are the Lord's command. But what he's saying, I think, is this is something that's not a new command. The Lord in his ministry here, when he was teaching on earth, spoke this command. So this is not something new. I'm not giving you more case law that hasn't been revealed. He's building all of this on things in Matthew 19:9 and Matthew 5:32 and all of the places that the Lord spoke about marriage that we have recorded in the gospels it really comes down to this principle that he lays down in verses 10 and 11 which is essentially don't divorce and remarry i mean that's the mm-hmm. basic of what he's saying here uh, of course Jesus gives an exception for sexual immorality but the idea at its core is that God has joined something together here. God has created a oneness. And when God creates a oneness, it is not for man to dissolve. And so he says, to the married, I give this charge, not advice, not opinion, but a charge. And it's not really me. The Lord already said this. The wife should not separate from her husband. The husband shouldn't divorce his wife. Those are parallel statements. Separate, divorce, those are, in the Greek, those are synonyms. They mean the Mm -hmm. same basic thing, two different words for the same thing. And in between, there's this what if it happens, right? Because it does. Mm-hmm. We we live in the real world. These things happen. Is it over? What? Throw up your hands and forget it, condemn this person to hell? N- no. 
She has to do something. What is she going to do? So the charge is don't separate. But if you do, here's what you have to do. Remain unmarried or else be reconciled to your husband. In other words, don't get remarried. Those are your two yeah. options if you're not remarried. So like I say, I think that there's so much in this chapter. And like Paul is doing kind of what every marriage class, every divorce study I've been in or taught does where you start to go in a case-by-case exploration of hypotheticals or situation that a friend was in or something. And it's not that those things aren't important. We have to deal with those things and we have enough material to deal with them, though we wish we had more from the Lord. But whatever we do, we have to start somewhere. And this is the heart of the matter is covenant. Marriage is a covenant, a oneness weaved by God. And so we start there. And, and I think yeah. uh, as we talk about the rest of what we want to talk about about marriage, I think it's important to, to recognize like there's a holiness to that. There's a wall that you put yourself in and that helps you deal with all of the rest of the things. It's like, okay, we're in it. We're linked. Now we've got to deal with all of real life that happens, but whatever else happens, we're not going to divorce. If you get nothing else from all of this, I think you get what the disciples got back in Matthew with Jesus. If divorce is such such an important or a terrible thing, maybe maybe we shouldn't get married. <laughs> you know, it's it's a it's a question that you really have to take seriously. Yeah, yeah. If you come to that conclusion, you're probably understanding the teaching of Jesus and Paul rightly. And like you say, this I mean, this we could spend all three segments on this chapter and just explaining <laughs> the different parts of it and pulling out wisdom from it. But I, I also just want to say that this parenthetical that he gives, he says, if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. Mm-hmm. I think we need to honor that as the word of the Lord, just as much as we honor the parts on either side of it. It doesn't mean they're equal. If they have equal weight. The main emphasis is certainly don't separate. But if someone does, there shouldn't be a stigma around remaining unmarried once that's happened, especially certainly if someone leaves a, a Christian spouse and they're trying to be faithful. But but whenever someone separates, if they remain unmarried or else are reconciled to her, their husband, I think we need to, in the same way that you were talking about being single and how yeah. that can sometimes have this weirdness around it, I think we need to be really <laughs> careful about that whenever someone is following what the Lord says here, remaining unmarried or else being reconciled. That's good. All right, so let's get into our third and final segment here. And that's going to be a top four Proverbs. One, two, three, four. Ah, ah, ah. And we're talking about the topic of marriage here. And a lot of the Proverbs have something to do with marriage. So let's go through our list of our top four Proverbs. And I guess I'll start again. I will go with Proverbs 20, verses 6 and 7, where it says, Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. It's easy for us to walk around talking about how much we love people. And I think mm. when you when you first start getting into a relationship with somebody, you know, you, you can talk about love a lot. <laughs> oh, I love you. And you get all... Uh, you know, a goopy kind of love. I think we had an episode on that, you know, some time ago. Yeah. You just, 
you're you're Twitter pated, you're enamored, and we can talk about how much we love somebody so so often. You know, maybe hopefully we continue to do that as we're married. But you know, at some point, talk is cheap, mm-hmm. even in a marriage. And I think the proverb here, you know, you can talk about love all day long, but but a faithful man who can find. It's it's easy to say that you love somebody. It's a lot harder to actually walk the walk of integrity and faithfulness to show that you love somebody as much as you say you do. And what does that look like in my life? You know, does that look like sacrificially serving my wife? Does that look like taking care of her needs and being thoughtful of what what she would want right now? Does that look like being a good listener or, you know, helping when that help is actually wanted or needed. And I think it's it's just something to think of here. And I love this proverb, basically, is just a reminder that, you know, I can tell my wife all day long that I love her, but if I'm not willing to take out the trash when she wants me to, then <laughs> I'm probably not showing it to her. I love that. This is so good. This is this is a great <laughs> piece of marital counseling. (laughs) This is a great thing to pass on to someone who is thinking about getting married. And I love the distinction between love and faithfulness, not distinction, but the the emphasis, putting those two together. Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find, who is the person who's going to walk in the integrity of their commitment and be faithful in every, every aspect and stick with it over and over again, loving when it's difficult. And that's, that's really, <laughs> that's really good. I love you, but, uh, <laughs> I don't know if I want to take the trash but out. I ain't going to do that. <laughs> I appreciate uh, here too the the pulling in the children here in at the yeah. end of this this section. Blessed are yeah. his children after him. You know, when your kids see a marriage that is functional, that not only on the surface is expressive of love and telling each other how much you love them, but actually showing it. And when they see that, and I don't know, like I feel like our kids can see right through everything that's going on. You know, they see not only what we say, but also what we do. And so if they see that we talk a lot about certain things, but they don't see us actually following through and doing it, then we're not giving them a very good model. And when we can model a marriage for our kids that shows them what this kind of relationship looks like in practice, Mm -hmm. I think that sets them up for a really good future. Yeah, I think about that all the time what our kids are seeing in our marriage. What are they learning from it? What are they learning from the way we deal with conflict? And I don't know if my parents did this or not. I think so. But I think a lot of like a past generation, everything was dealt with behind closed doors or not dealt with. You know, kids didn't see very much. But Adrian and I just talk. We just talk in front of them and just kind of work things out and try to figure out, hey, I shouldn't have said that this way. I can tell that hurts your feelings. I, here's what I meant to say. And, and hopefully they're learning something. It'd be nice if we never made mistakes and they didn't have to ever, ever see that either. But, uh, <laughs> but, but, uh, you know, I think it's, I think it's really a good point that you're making that, that if we are walking in integrity and we're, we're faithful in our love, our kids will learn from it. And it happens in the action. Adrian brings up all the time her favorite thing that I say, which is, what can I do to help? <laughs> if that's the most important tool in my toolbox, I think. Sure. Um, and, and so it's about doing. What can I do to help? Not just, oh, I love you, and then walking away. Great point. <laughs> 
Okay, so I'll yeah. do mine. Go um, for it. So proverb number two, the beginning of strife is like letting out water. So quit before the quarrel breaks out. Oh, Proverbs seventeen fourteen. That's a good so one. So wise. Yeah, yeah. Just quit. Quit before you get going, man. Um, there's a difference between beginning strife and having a conversation you need to have at the right time and in the right way, mm-hmm. of course. But I have definitely begun strife before, I have to admit. I'm not proud of it, but sometimes it seems like such a small thing you want to bring up. You know, you're just you're just knocking your hammer against a dam that's been known to spring a leak. But surely this is just a tap, you know, tip, tip, tip. <laughs> but you never know when you're going to hit a nerve, when you're going to strike a vulnerable crack in that dam and all of a sudden water is gushing like Niagara. So he says the beginning of strife is like letting out water. It's like breaking out a dam. Quit before the quarrel breaks out. Don't keep tapping. Be wise about it. You know whenever you're you're tapping your foot slowly towards some thin ice and you know it's it's going to be a problem and you're not dealing with it the right way or maybe you don't even need to bring it up at all. Uh, I certainly do. Sometimes wisdom teaches you, sometimes experience teaches you slowly to be more delicate and more cautious and to to think more clearly about what needs to be said, how it should be said, how to deal with things, how to create the best situation, how to listen, as you said, and make that the priority first. So I, I just think there's a lot of wisdom in quitting before the quarrel breaks out and on this idea <laughs> that a little bit of just just creating that opening and all of a sudden you know especially first year of marriage i think back and it just seems like a little thing and then all of a sudden it's three in the morning and we've been going at it for four hours just talking this thing all around and we're both we're talkers so we're trying to find a way out but we're trying to mark our territory and it gets so ugly before you learn to trust each other and to listen and to to let go of being right and learn to love and forgive and move on. I got to share an example here just really quickly. So in our first year of marriage, there was a box of Cocoa Puffs. I kid you not. (laughs) That was the dam that got broken. (laughs) I was so upset that my box of Cocoa Puffs had been eaten by my wife and was no longer available to me. And to this day, it is an example of this kind of thing that you're talking about here. It is the silly, just ridiculous thing that became such a big problem. And and I kind of, you know, now, like you said, with wisdom and hindsight, you go back to some of these thoughts. And I ask myself a lot, like, is this a hill that I'm willing to die on? You know, (laughs) is this the battle that I really want to pick? And it's not to say, like you said, it's not to say that we don't have these conversations and we don't deal with challenging things, but really seriously pick your battles. Because if, if you go too far about silly things, and I've done this so many times in my own life, it really is going to be a challenge for your spouse, your partner to really be patient with you and, and, you know, work with you to, to be understanding. And, you know, my wife, Sherilyn, she is absolutely very patient, way more than, than I deserve sometimes with my letting out of water. So... (laughs) 
that has to be the title of this episode, like <laughs> the infamous Cocoa Puffs incident of 2004. The Cocoa Puffs incident. No, it the Cocoa Puffs incident. That's perfect oh. because it's so painful, but so true how how these little things can break open into a dam. So what's number three? All right. So proverb number three, Proverbs chapter 12, verse four. And this is an obvious one. And you'd, you'd expect this one here. And so I'll just bring it up. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but mm-hmm. she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. <laughs> I think this proverb specifically, this verse can get weaponized. And so mm-hmm. I'm not trying to use this in a pointed fashion at all women. I do want to broaden this. And I'm going to broaden this by looking at 1 Samuel 25 with a man named Nabal, who mm-hmm. was basically... Was a rottenness in Abigail's bones. So I'm going to flip this and just say, I think this applies to both the husband and the wife. You know, an excellent husband is going to really be a blessing to his wife. And a terrible husband is going to be a shame and a rottenness to her bones, too. And so mm-hmm. there's two things that I pull out of this. One... It's important to choose your spouse wisely. And this goes back to something that we talked about a little bit ago. Don't just jump into a relationship with somebody because if you make the wrong choice, and it's not to say that you can somehow know ahead of time exactly who somebody is going to be. You can't. And and I've seen people who looked on the surface like really, really good, you know, spouse material, and they just weren't after a while. And it's sometimes it's really hard to know that, but you you really do have to choose your spouse wisely because on one hand, they can either be somebody who is your precious companion, somebody who you value, somebody who brings you glory and honor, or they can grind you down from your very core. And I've seen both of those cases in my life and, and it's a scary thought. So be, be very careful about who you choose. And the second thing is that it's important to be the honorable spouse yourself. You know, yeah. sometimes we look at this verse and say, oh, yeah, my wife. Yeah. Yeah. Look, she's rottenness to my bones. I've never said that, by the way. I just want to make that clear. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, like I said, I think you, we can weaponize this verse sometimes, but I, I want to flip it and think about ourselves on the other side of it. Are we, mm-hmm. am I the honorable spouse? Am I the one who is bringing glory and honor to my spouse, to my wife? Or is my wife being the one who brings glory and honor to me if she was asking this question? And I think we've all had our bad days. We've all had our Cocoa Puffs moments. (laughs) We've all said dumb things. We've all acted in selfish ways. But at a glance, at first glance, if our spouse is thinking about us, do they see us as a glory and and a blessing to them? Or do they see us as somebody who grinds them down from their very core? Those are the two perfect and really the only two right applications of this, because where it gets weaponized is whenever people try to change their spouse after they're married to them by bringing verses like this, like a sledgehammer. And it's really hard to change someone else. You can change yourself and that has influence on someone else. But to your point of choosing your spouse wisely, they're going to be a lot like they are whenever you marry them. I mean, that's the same person. They'll get Lord willing if they seek the Lord throughout that. They'll become wiser and better in some ways. But uh, you you don't change people. You marry the person that you're going to get. And so I, I love this point about being the person you need to be, being the crown 
of your wife, because that is certainly just as true that uh, an honorable and excellent husband is a crown for his wife just as much as an excellent wife is the crown of her husband. Really great points. And on the topic just of weaponizing verses, you can go back to 1 Corinthians 7, and I know there are verses in there that I have weaponized from Mm. time to time. And just be really careful, especially, you know, when you're dealing with your spouse, be really careful what verses you throw in their face without really examining whether you're doing all that you can first. It's kind of the throwing the first stone. Like, are you are you really qualified to throw that kind of stone right now? Or or have you kind of missed where you need to be? So just some helpful things to think about. Yes, that is good advice. I have found that as much as the Bible and Bible verses are a, a, you know, form a big part of the fabric of our relationship, they never belong in an argument. <laughs> they never even belong in, um, in trying to, you know, a, a time when you're trying to change or shape someone. It, I mean, my spouse anyways, uh, it just sets the wrong context and just sounds like the bad kind of preaching, the way that the world hears the word preaching that that's why it's so important to have those other contexts for the word to shape your marriage where you sure. as a couple are sitting down and studying 1 Corinthians 7 and what does this mean for us or mm-hmm. studying these proverbs and and how can I apply this here's what I want to do to work on this yeah. and and that kind of thing instead of making it come out whenever you know in, in those other moments so uh, all right close this thing out what's proverbs all right. 4 number 4 proverbs 24 verse 26 whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips <laughs> <laughs> so okay. here's something very intimate <laughs> kissing the lips and something that we do with our spouse But it says whoever gives an honest answer is doing this, is doing this thing that you would do to someone you're intimate with. And and in that culture, it might not just be a spouse. It might be someone that you have a very close covenant relationship with or a very close friend or family member. But this is intimacy. Intimacy and this kind of expression of affection comes whenever we give an honest answer. And I think the context beyond this to to make the point that the the Proverbs writer is is giving us is it might not feel like the thing somebody wants to hear, or it might feel dangerous, or it might feel like something you would want to be careful with. And I think as men, sometimes we just don't want the conflict run away <laughs> yeah <laughs> just yeah. don't talk about it or don't 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 address the issue and and for me that's often been a good instinct but we still need to give honest answers and speak the truth that needs to be said and in my experience the problem isn't just honesty as opposed to deception it's honesty as opposed to trying to make a false peace by concealing your thoughts about something mm-hmm. and it's a lesson i've had to to learn i, I came up again this week <laughs> to be honest with uh, something, not a big deal, just something that I had a position on that felt important to me, but I didn't say it. And I kept trying to make it work Adrian's way, but it wasn't working. And part of that was that I wasn't saying what I needed to say. And so ultimately, honesty is like kissing the lips. Trust is the foundation of intimacy. So honesty is better for a marriage than kisses, really. It makes a way for connection and mutual confidence and this kind of thing that 
that brings about kisses and being close to each other and being in this harmonious relationship. Sometimes it takes a little stirring of the boat every once in a while to have things going as they need to be. We're thousands of miles away from each other, I think, but man, you are stepping on my toes. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably a pretty common guy issue. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it is so easy and I'm, I'm not trying to overgeneralize here, but my wife is such a better communicator than I am. And I am so much more prone to just bottling it up, leaving it unsaid and just trying to create this kind of peace. Let's not rock the boat. And that Mm -hmm. does not always work very well. You know, sometimes, sometimes it just needs to be said. Sometimes we need to have these conversations. And I think more often than I'm willing to admit, you know, we need to have certain conversations that I don't feel comfortable really having. But whenever I've had those kinds of conversations in the past, things have been much better than they would have been if I would have just bottled it up and left things unsaid for weeks or months on end. Yeah, it's the the hard part of most of life, but certainly marriage is discernment, is figuring out the difference between those those things that seem hard to tell the difference between like, when do I talk and when do I not talk? When should I just keep my <laughs> mouth shut, which Proverbs also says, yes. and when should I speak up and say something because apt words, words fitly spoken are like bowls of gold with, or what, apples of gold in silver bowls or whatever, Sons you know, I mean, silver. Proverbs gives these different, different pieces of wisdom that mm-hmm. help us, but but part of the the difficulty, part of the growth and the maturing and becoming wise is learning when to use this proverb and when to apply this other proverb. And and so I think you're you're onto something with this this issue of sometimes we need to keep it to ourselves. Sometimes we just walk away, let it lie, move on. And yeah. as a, a famous movie quote says, you know what I didn't do? I didn't let it lie. <laughs> and so. <laughs> You know, sometimes we cause more trouble and we're back now to breaking open the dam whenever we should have let it lie and we burst open the dam. I think ladies talk about marriage a lot more than guys do. And anytime we as guys can sit around and check ourselves before we wreck ourselves, I think this is a good thing. (laughs) All right. Yeah, absolutely. So let's get into the challenge for this week. And I think you've got it for us. So dive in here. Yeah. So. Going with our discussion of Proverbs, find somebody, maybe your spouse if you're married or someone else that's close to you if you're not married, and share a proverb that you're personally working on with with them. Find something, maybe it's something we talked about, maybe it's something you find somewhere else, and, uh, and say, hey, this is something that I'm trying to improve on. And it's amazing how as I said, placing the word of God into the context of your marriage, but doing it in a way where it's not weaponized, it's pointed right at yourself. It starts to open things up and change the dynamic of your relationship, improve it and strengthen it because that's what God's word does. Yeah, that's good. I, I think you know, when you talk about iron sharpening iron, there's no, there's no better uh, friend that you can have helping you through things than your spouse if you have one. Yeah, amen. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning into the Bible Geeks podcast. You can find us on our website at BibleGeeks.fm. You can find show notes for this episode at BibleGeeks.fm slash 65. And you can follow along with our Into the Book Bible Reading program 
We're almost halfway through now, but you can catch up. And that's it. BibleGeeks.fm slash into the book. Follow along with us on social media. And if you have anything that you want to talk about on upcoming episodes, reach out. Let us know what you'd like to hear about. And we would love to tackle those things along with you. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Shalom. Shalom.